When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, Patience here. You are about to listen to part two of our interview with Ottawa's first Black counselor, Rolson King. If you haven't listened to part one, I do encourage you to go and do that before you come back here. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Patience Adamo. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, remember, subscribe. In our municipal interview series, we chat with the leaders or Black representatives of specific cities across Ontario with the focus of giving them a spotlight. On this week's episode, we take a look at Ottawa, Canada's capital city. And representing the city, we're honoured to welcome Ottawa City Councillor Ralston King to the drip. Well, well, jumping uh, to uh, another important issue uh, on the question of Indigenous reconciliation. Minutes from a meeting of the Ottawa Carleton District School Board's Indigenous Education Advisory Council say a member of the committee, Lily Miller, quote, expressed the opinion that students standing and singing O Canada is distasteful and should be replaced with something more healthy and positive, end quote. So what about you? Do you think it's a good idea to ban the singing of our national anthem in schools? I think that it's important for us to have a conversation about the singing of national anthems in schools. We're going to have national symbols. We have a national flag. Uh, Not unlike other countries, we're going to have a national anthem. Mm -hmm. And we have to really talk about the, the meaning behind those symbols. And I think often we get wrapped up in simply talking about the symbols themselves. Right. Um, which creates obviously a bit of a cultural clash. It creates culture war. And, you know, I think personally, um, we need to have a wider discussion so people understand the wider depth of the history of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're going to, um, you know, have symbols um, that do represent colonialized histories. I think it's important for people to have a, a full understanding of the nature of the history and be completely informed uh, before uh, we, we talk about, um, you know, the removal of these symbols. Right. And so I say that because I have some um, knowledge about especially Indigenous issues. Uh, my wife is an Indigenous arts curator. She uh, is a member of a of a First Nations uh, band in uh, this this area, mm-hmm. and and so you know I had been uh, learning about residential schools, uh, you know, f- for fifteen years. Fifteen years ago, um, you know, I was reading information about uh, what was occurring. I yeah. think the challenge now is it's really just entering the national consciousness in in a wider mm-hmm. way, the popular right. consciousness now. And so I think it's important for us to actually have a, a wide discussion 
about the impacts. And then we should, I think when people are truly informed about the impacts, then I think we can move on to having uh, discussions about uh, the changes of symbols. And I can give you a real time example of this. Um, you know, in my ward, uh, community members were upset that uh, a street was named after uh, Lajevin, who was a father of Confederation and right. a noted architect of the Indian residential school system. Right. They took it upon themselves to educate themselves about Lajevin. They said, you know, we don't really appreciate uh, the street being named after uh, this 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 person. Mm -hmm. um, after kind of examining, um, you know, um, the 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 work that uh, he had undertaken. And they said, we want uh, to change the name of the street. They undertook a, a petition process. Uh, they talked with the indigenous community. Uh, they asked them specifically for uh, three different options to change the name of the street. Um, the indigenous community made a decision to name it after William Commanda, a noted Algonquin elder. Um, and um, we were able to uh, work uh, with council to get uh, that name changed. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. but that required a conversation. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's what's important is actually the education versus the symbol itself. I think that we can live with symbols. Uh, you know, I, my, my ancestors are from a uh, West Indian uh, island, that uh, Caribbean island that was uh, settled by slaves. <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh forcefully um well i'm vincentian so uh you know you might also know that uh we we uh, uh had a fighting spirit and uh <laughs> some of us were shipwrecked and kept the british off the island for a while <laughs> yeah but uh, -huh. uh but but the reality is you know there are symbols in that country they still have the queen as head of state they say what you make still, yep. but the reality is that uh there is a discussion about the symbols, the meanings of the symbols. And, you know, I think that there's still a continuing discussion, even in that country. So mm -hmm. my feeling is we should have those discussions because the discussions and the education are more meaningful uh, to people and their insights uh, than uh, simply uh, the symbols, because history will change. Um, our perceptions of what people have done will change. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's advocating to eliminate, um, um, you know, full symbols because that's our history i think right. the key is a greater understanding of the impact of that history on people because people really don't have a clue <laughs> as to it's almost like historical amnesia you live in a country and a lot of people don't understand uh, the challenges um the discrimination the racism that uh, people had faced and right. i think yep. it's important this is this is an inflection point for people to understand that uh, you know, land, especially that was unsurrendered and unceded, where people lived mm -hmm. for millennia, uh, was um, settled, uh, colonized, taken away. Resources were taken away. People were disenfranchised. Um, people, uh, you know, communities and and, um, and whole peoples. Uh, you know, the attempt was to to break them, to to integrate them, um, to assimilate them. Um, people need to actually understand that history. And I think people are only starting to do that now. Speaking of that history, what, what, did, you, uh, what did you make of uh, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien's statement on Radio-Canada that he, uh, he knew nothing of what was going on in residential schools while he was Indian Affairs Minister? Did you, did you take that in at all? 
Yes, I read that. And um, the, the one thing I could say is uh, obviously we weren't privy to <laughs> what was occurring in the 50s and the 60s uh, when he was at the Ministry of Indian Affairs. Uh, but uh, the one thing I can say, um, because I'm a student of Canadian uh, politics and, and history, mm -hmm. is that we do have a, a constitutional principle of ministerial responsibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means that if there are mistakes that have been made, uh, though many governments don't follow this anymore, <laughs> but he yeah. came from a time when they did, um, you know, if mistakes are made, even if uh, they weren't your own individual errors, you took responsibility for them. Yep. Right. And so this is, this is the thing. I think um, the reality is that the ministries at that time uh, would have been smaller. I think we saw growth in federal ministries after Trudeau and the professionalization um, and the expansion of the public service um, at a federal level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you would have seen a, a, a larger array of, of people. Uh, but at the time that he was in the ministry, uh, of Indian affairs, as it was called at the time, um, I would have imagined uh, that it was smaller. Uh, there was a class of of, uh, of uh, public servants called mandarins at the time. Uh, oh, wow. So you know there was a smaller, there was a small, and there were smaller ministries. Um, so you would have thought uh, that there would have been more information flow um, directly to the minister, <laughs> uh, since the ministries might have been a bit smaller. And, um, the reality of course, is that, um, you know, we know through the history, uh, that, um, there, there would have been, the information would have been contained to those ministries themselves, right. um, because the public didn't had a romanticized, uh, mythological view of what indigenous people were. And at the yeah. time, mm -hmm. um, you still had Indian agents working, keeping uh, um, uh, First Nations and Indigenous people on the mm -hmm. reserve so mm -hmm. that there wasn't really an intermingling um, uh, with uh, people in the South or in cities or um, off of reserves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there would have been a lot of there would have been a lot less transparency in terms of people's understanding of what was occurring on reserves. Um, and a lot of that information uh, would have been documented by Indian agents and, and others and, um, and administrators, uh, ultimately, of the schools. And that information would have been filed, um, you know, in, in Ottawa. And they would have also been, you could imagine, uh, with uh, the amount of abuse, there would have been correspondence with uh, people who uh, would not have uh, seen any of this being accept, you know, being accepted. Right. So, In so fact, my there was. Feeling, yeah, yeah, and I mean that's what the CBC was reporting. Exactly. So, so, so my feeling is, um, you know, I, I can't speak uh, for his specific knowledge. We weren't there. Um, you know, we weren't. I wasn't born <laughs> when he was uh, Minister of Indian Affairs, uh, so I, I can't uh, speak to uh, what dossiers he would have read or what letters he would have seen. And you know, uh, often uh, correspondence, especially in high offices, you know, uh, goes to uh, people who deal with correspondence. So every specific letter that we write to Justin Trudeau might not be seen by the prime minister. Right. Of course. But, Fair. But, yeah. but the reality is um, we have a system uh, constitutionally that says you're supposed to be responsible. Mm -hmm. And I think at right. least uh, the, the current government of the day said, you know, 
we've there have been issues we we have not conducted ourselves well we've conducted ourselves in a shameful way we uh, acknowledge that there is a need for reconciliation we acknowledge uh that uh, what was done we have a former prime minister uh, uh paul martin who noted that uh the the government was engaged in uh cultural genocide um mm-hmm. i think you know even if you did not know individually um every individual action or even the collective action, um, ultimately, uh, people uh, who have held office or who hold office uh, should uh, really recognize uh, the, the the idea of ministerial accountability and say, you know, uh, there were errors uh, throughout uh, my watch and ultimately errors throughout history, uh, continuing errors, and that we need to to work towards their correction. Right. Yeah. No kidding. So I, I actually lived in Ottawa for three years while attending Carleton University, which is also your alma mater, and found that the city was booming with lots of businesses moving their, their business to the nation's capital, namely Shopify. Has that been a priority for the city to be attracting, you know, all of these large organizations and encouraging them to move their headquarters to the city? And is attracting millennials part of the city's promise to keep these companies in Ottawa? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, there's always been a, a focus on diversifying Ottawa's mm-hmm. economy. Uh, firstly, obviously, uh, we are government heavy. Uh, we are the federal mm-hmm. seat of government. Uh, but uh, over the 70s, 80s and 90s, we know that there had been um, success around uh, commercialization and information technology. And so uh, we also have a very high concentration of IT mm-hmm. companies in, in Ottawa. Uh, we actually have one of the largest uh, business parks in Canada North uh, that has uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies, uh, both very mm-hmm. large scale and uh, and startup uh, that are really focused around uh, technology. At one point, uh, I know it's a competing title, but at one point we were considered Silicon mm, Valley right, North. Right, um, so, um, you know, there is that focus still um, to ensure that uh, we continue our investments. Uh, we as a city have helped in terms of uh, ensuring that there are investments on with autonomous mm. vehicles. Uh, so we have, uh, uh, you know, some of the most advanced autonomous vehicle testing in, in our city. Uh, we are a city that has a huge swath of rural uh, land. And so the city has also been investing in smart technology uh, evaluations on farms. Um, so there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, um, economic development that's going on in uh, the uh, area that I came from. Uh, we uh, were a part of the driving force around commercialization of uh, technologies uh, from our scientific discoveries that uh, had come out of the National Research Council, which is also headquartered here in Ottawa. So um, there's a lot of economic development focus. Um, obviously, the municipality doesn't play a huge role in that. Other levels right. of government have to. Uh, it's not our mandate. Uh, but where we can, in terms of our own um, economic development agency, Invest Ottawa, uh, we try to uh, encourage companies to come here and we try to uh, ensure that entrepreneurs have the skills to build successful firms or at least learn how to build successful firms. Because entrepreneurs will fail once, 
they might fail twice, they might fail trice, but eventually they make it. <laughs> and uh, we want them to, to be here uh, when, when they make it or to at least have the experience of attempting to build those companies. To shift gears a little bit, just a little bit, and to wrap our discussion, let's let's talk a bit about millennial home buyers and affordable housing in the city. So, as a bilingual city, your neighbor Gatineau is is known for having a much lower cost of living. Um, a site called Ottawa is not boring reports that to rent an an apartment in downtown Ottawa costs uh, four thousand nine hundred thirteen bucks a square meter, while in Gatineau it costs far less at two thousand and sixteen dollars a square meter. So is there any concern that folks moving to, to Ottawa Gatineau will choose Gatineau instead? And if so, what are you and your colleagues doing to keep Ottawa competitive? So that is a, a challenge. Of course, um, we like to think of the whole uh, national capital region as an mm-hmm. ecosystem. So we don't often think in the way that we are competing against uh, Gatineau. It's it's a complementary element of the national capital region. And we work in conjunction uh, with uh, the municipality on many things, including uh, transit and, and transportation. Um, so I don't usually view it that way. I think the challenge we have in Ottawa is, is actually endemic across the country. Mm. Um, and so it would even affect Gatineau as well. And uh, the, 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 the challenges that we have really are around um, real estate. Um, you know, we need yeah, that's the ongoing issue. And if we created more supply, then I think that that would actually affect it. You know, if we believe in, in basic economic theory, more supply would lead to uh, uh, lower mm-hmm. prices. But of course, there are other macroeconomic issues that, uh, you know, municipality has no control over, obviously, uh, whether that's inflation or, um, you know, um, the, the, the challenges around uh, low interest rates for uh, more than right. two decades, uh, which creates uh, price inflation in, in, in real estate. But the biggest challenge that we have is uh, building out affordable mm-hmm. housing. Um, as a municipality and as a, a municipal council, we don't have uh, many tools at our disposal to um, to impose or to uh, uh, you know ensure the uh, creation of of affordable housing. Uh, you know we cannot compel it based on legislation, except uh, in uh, transit oriented mm-hmm. development areas. So if if a um, if a development is within a, a you know two kilometer radius of a mass transit station uh, like an LRT station then uh, there is a tool under bill 108 that allows us to compel uh, the creation of affordable housing through inclusionary okay. zoning but we don't have that as a wide tool in Ottawa yet and so that is a challenge um, the the thing is we are working on mm-hmm. it so um, I'm, I'm pleased to be a member of our housing agency the second largest uh, one Ottawa community housing in the, in the mm-hmm. province and uh, we are working at actual, expansion of affordable housing. In fact, there's going to be an affordable, um, I worked very hard and, and uh, worked hard with colleagues to ensure that we could secure funding and, and financing, matching financing so that we can uh, build a more affordable housing in my ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are opportunities around these new light uh, rail uh, uh, transit st- uh, stations. We have to get the LRT working. Right. <laughs> and that's, 
that's a continuing challenge. But I mean, but the reality is, uh, the we have lands uh, in my ward that are um, within that two kilometer radius. In fact, we have two stations within a two kilometer radius uh, that would open up, uh, uh, you know, um, and would allow us to compel uh, more affordable housing development. So that's definitely the, the main challenge is uh, bringing uh, more inventory online. And uh, my feeling is in, in the context of Ottawa, we're going to uh, hopefully have some success doing that uh, through uh, the um, um, creation of uh, affordable housing uh, around transit stations compelled by inclusionary zoning. Patience, does that make you happy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I feel Ottawa is underdeveloped, right? So I feel like there's so much opportunity for Ottawa. So I look forward to seeing where it goes. We have people who feel that we are overdeveloping. <laughs> no way. But, uh, As a yeah, nation's capital? No. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with you. I don't believe that we are Manhattanizing, um, you know, all you have to do is go downtown Toronto and see Manhattanization. I think that we just need to do intensification in a uh, community sensitive way and an appropriate way for, mm-hmm. uh, for communities. But I think that that is actually attainable. I'm, I'm one of these optimists who think that we can actually do that. I think so too. We hear your optimism loud and clear. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the drip. Um, you're a very thoughtful individual. Um, plenty of great things were, were shared today. Um, and you've got a lot of power. And uh, so we hope we can uh, invite you back to the drip in short order. Uh, and we'll have more great things to discuss at that point. What do you think? Well, I had fun. So uh, <laughs> if there's Good. an invitation, I will, I will say yes to it. Awesome. Awesome. It'll it'll come soon. Don't worry about that. (laughs) You've just listened to episode 76 of The Trip. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, and next week we'll be speaking to Mayor Patrick Brown of Brampton. So subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at the Drift TO. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. Thanks again to Councillor Ralston King of Ottawa. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.